Take your Bibles and turn to John. John chapter 21. As of this Sunday, we are through the book of John, and I'm not just super happy about it. I've enjoyed working through it. I wouldn't have minded spending a little longer in it, but here we are. So, we're at the end of his book. Uh, the, the second ending, really. Um, it's pretty clear that he uh, wrote the end of chapter 20. He didn't write chapters and verses. You know, we've got them, though. Ended it there and then went back and, and added a little bit more uh, at some later date. Could have been the next couple of days, but regardless, it's clear there was an ending and then there's another ending. So we're in the, the second ending. Uh, follow no matter what, John 21, 15 through 22. We're going to stop one verse short of, of where our Connect Group lesson stopped this morning. Uh, our last week for our memory verse, though, means that there aren't any words up there. Oh, the, you got the ampersand down at the bottom. We've we got the and, so you know it's two verses. All right, let's see what we can do. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. My Father is glorified in this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. John 15, 5, and 8. All right, not bad. The lines help. I was looking at every line, like counting the letters really quick, like what's that word? And, but hey... All right, so you can get our uh, next verse uh, bookmark in the uh, foyer. Looks like this from Jeremiah uh, 17, 7, and 8. The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is in the Lord, is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by the water, by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes, and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. Keeping that theme. Uh, and the, the, the series theme for the sermons is fruitfulness in drought. Uh, that's what we're looking at. Jeremiah experienced drought as far as what the world would call success. Not a single convert he changed no one's mind with all of his preaching. Yeah. But we're going to look at his sermons and what he said. All right, but that starts next week. This week, follow no matter what. At this point in the story, Peter, and he's the, the other main character. Jesus, of course, is the main character in this part of the narrative. Uh, Peter's the other one. Everybody else is just supporting cast. Peter has gone from, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, to, I don't even know the man. In the course of a year or so. With various promises of devotion and, and dying thrown in, in between those two things. It's been quite uh, a roller coaster for him. What, what was going through his mind when the ladies came and said, the tomb's empty? What, what had he wondered? What had he carried? What had he thought when Jesus, when he gets to the tomb and Jesus isn't there, and that evening Jesus shows up in the room with them? That evening, he hears from the guys that were on the road to Emmaus coming back and saying, we've seen him. The ladies that saw him at the tomb, and the, the garden tomb, and then he sees him. And then a week later, Jesus shows up again in the same, probably the same room. And then this third time, and Luke tells us that Peter had seen him again in between there. What was going up through his mind each time? Because we're just, Sunday night, we're just three days removed from 
I don't even know the man. Throw in a cuss word at the beginning. I don't even know the man. And then that man shows up. And it's now been, at this point in the story, a couple of three weeks. And Peter does what he does. He goes fishing. Jim Milton, right? That's what you do, isn't it? When, when, when you don't know what to do, you go fishing. And that's what Peter did. He, they're, they're not abandoning, he's not abandoning his call, probably. This is not him refuting his call to discipleship. Uh, Jesus had told them to go to Galilee and wait for him. And then they would, he would show up. Galilee is where the ascension was. So, it, so Peter is where he was told to be. But, but while he's there, he's, he's doing what makes him, him comfortable. He, he's doing what, will, what comes naturally. Mindless for him, probably casting the net, pulling it back up. He could think about everything that was going on while he was doing what he liked to do. The other thing is that this is something he can control. He can control throwing the net. He can control pulling it back up. Well, what he can't control, right, Jim, is the catch. He can't control what gets into the net, and he caught nothing. A guy on the beach, they can't see. It's, it's, it's early morning, probably... Uh, just pre-dawn, uh, maybe there's a mist. They can see the person. It's water, so you can hear the person. The sound carries really well over water. Hey, did y'all catch anything? Nope. Throw it on the right side of the boat. Now, why they did it is, is something we'll never really know. At this point, they don't know it's Jesus. Maybe, maybe they're thinking this sounds familiar because this isn't the first time Jesus has done this to them, but the circumstances were much different the last time. Maybe they thought, oh, this guy must be able to see that there's a school of fish over here on the right side or, or whatever. But whatever the reason, they, they did it. Interesting, if part of our memory verse is, apart from me, you can do nothing. There's not a sermon here, there's not even really a lesson here, uh, not biblically I don't think, but it is something to note. These fishermen never caught a single fish until Jesus showed up. You realize that in the Gospels? They are the worst fishermen ever unless Jesus is there. And then they catch all these fish. So that's what they get. They get a huge catch of fish. Uh, Jesus, uh, John recognizes him as Jesus immediately, they, they, John just puts two and two together. That voice, the fit, oh my gosh, of course, it's Jesus. Peter hadn't realized it yet, but he believes John when it happens. So Peter jumps in the boat, swims 100 yards to shore, while everybody else brings in the fish. 153 of them. There have been all sorts of discussions about what 153 means. You know what it means? 153. It's just, it's what they counted. Because think, think about it. it, it on, on one of the most momentous days of your life, as you're recalling events and you were trying to write it down or telling stories to somebody, you remember these random but incredibly uh, uh, exact, detailed moments. John knew 50 years later. 60 years later, whatever it was, probably, probably 40 to 50 years later, it was 153 fish. I can't believe I can remember that, but we counted. Because that net was full, and the net didn't tear. We couldn't believe it. 153. When Peter gets to the shore, it's a charcoal fire waiting. That's important, this charcoal fire. Because Peter's about to learn our big idea. Our big idea this morning, the next screen, the call to follow Jesus comes whatever our failures, no matter the consequences, and despite the actions of others. Peter's going to learn that, and we're going to look at it this morning in John 21, 15 through 23. Read it with me. Uh, if you don't have a, a Bible of your own, take one of those in front of you or around you somewhere. 
And the one you pick, that one's yours. You can have it. When they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So this rumor spread to the brothers and sisters that his disciples, that, his disi- that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not tell him that he would not die. But if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? John clearing up some rumors there at the end. Uh, we all know what that's like when you have to clear up rumors. Three points I see in this passage uh, that go just right along with the big idea Uh, Obey regardless of failure, obey regardless of consequences, and obey regardless of others. When Peter gets to the shore, point number one, obey regardless of failure, in verses 15 and 17, when, when Peter gets to the shore, Jesus calls him by his pre ministry name. He doesn't say Peter, he says Simon. Son of John. Simon means pebble. Peter means rock. Peter has gone back to being a pebble at this point. He is, he is, not, he is not who yet Jesus told him he would be and what he's called him all this time. That's our first clue that something's not right here. Probably was Peter's first clue as well. Simon, son of John. I mean, it's like, it's like he said, if, 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 you, if people, they don't generally, but if people called me Mike, but suddenly somebody showed up and said, Michael Linton. Ooh. Or when your mama says your whole name, right? Michael Boyd Linton, you know. That's what happened here. Not the pet name, not hey baby, not hey bud, not, not any of that. Whole name. Peter knows something's up. Also, John makes uh, clear to tell us there was that charcoal fire burning now, we don't think anything of that, really. You've got to have charcoal to cook, or at least you have to have a fire to cook. But John only uses the word charcoal fire twice in his entire gospel. The other time, it's the fire Peter was standing around when he denied that he knew Jesus. John probably recognized the smell. Actually, I was talking to Don this morning about uh, my grandparents' house and how uh, years ago, after uh, my, my grandfather died some nine, eight, nine months after my grandmother died, I went back to the house, their house for the first time six, eight months after that. And, and I thought I was doing okay, gotten over everything, until I got in the house and smelled it. And I was like, whoa, and I lost it. it smell is one of those senses, they tell us, that is most closely tied to memory. I'm pretty certain when Peter got to the shore... And smelled that fire is like, mmm. Because we're only, at this point, probably two weeks out. They've had to have enough time, the, the, the Sunday night of the resurrection, to see Jesus. The next Sunday night, uh, when uh, we had the thing with Thomas. And then Galilee is about 80 miles north of Jerusalem. Three or four days travel. Uh, so we're probably on into the next week. So it's only been a couple of weeks, at least, maybe a little more, but it could have been as little as two weeks later. Uh, that, that, that 
that smell probably meant something. So Jesus sits him down, and they've, they've had breakfast at this point. They've, they've, uh, they've eaten, and Jesus asks him a question. Peter, or Simon, rather, not Peter. Simon, Barjona, son of Jonah, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon, do you love me more than these other disciples that are sitting around? See, Peter has been all about the superlatives for three years. I'll never let this happen. You never say never, right? James Bond taught us that. And you never say never again either because then it's really bad. You don't, you don't say never, you don't say always, you, and, and, and Peter, I mean, except unless we're talking about God, then you can always, then you can never, because if he says always, he means always, and if he says never, he says never. But we tend to not live up to the always and nevers. But Peter's all about them. I will die for you. I, the, the extru- whatever the biggest is that's Peter. So Jesus says, he asks him the superlative, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter, I think, has learned his lesson. Because Simon would have answered, uh, pre-courtyard uh, fire, Peter would have said, I love you more than anybody. Not just these, but everybody in the whole wide world, Jesus. But instead, he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He doesn't answer in the superlative. He leaves that alone, lets that pass on by, and Jesus, the second time he asks the question, does the same. Asks Asks the question three times, gives the same three answers, will uh, the same three responses to Peter's answers. We'll talk about those responses in a minute. Let's talk about the questions and Peter's answer. You've heard, if you've heard this message, you've heard this discussed. No telling how many times. Jesus asks the question the first two times using the word agape for love. And we generally define agape as unconditional love. Probably a better way to look at it is divine love. Peter answers with the word phileo, like Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Delphi, city, phile, brotherly love. Human love is, is maybe a better definition. So divine love, human love. That's what we have in Greek. That's how John wrote it down, led by the Holy Spirit to do so. The question is, what does that mean? We have to consider a couple of things here. One, that the conversation was actually probably in Aramaic. They weren't speaking Greek to each other. That was the the business language, the lingua franca of the day. It was what government spoke and that sort of thing. And they would have spoken Greek and could write Greek. But if they were just hanging out with the boys, they just spoke Aramaic. So we would have to supply some words. Oh, well, he must have said in Aramaic this, or Peter must have replied in Aramaic this way. But we don't have that. We only have this Holy, inspire, Holy Spirit-inspired Greek that with two different words. Now, that could mean something. And y'all, if you have heard this sermon before, and probably if you've heard me teach it or preach it, because I have taught it and prod it, teached it and preached it, whatever, uh, this way you've heard, well, it meant, it has meant two different things. Jesus was asking, if we were using what the kids today would say, do you love me for real, for real? And Peter's response was, bro, we straight, right? Not sounded the same. Did I get it right, Carly? Did I, is that, that's you, 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 even even in to what the, with what the kids say, you can hear the difference. Oh, we're good. No, do you really love me? And that is very possible. 
that John was intentionally saying, Jesus asked agape, Peter responded phileo. Jesus asked agape, Peter responded phileo. Jesus asked even really phileo, and, Jesus, and, and Peter said, you know it's phileo. That's possible. Because Peter is grieved when he gets to the end. The third time he asks the question, it says, Peter is grieved. Peter is broken. He is destroyed. The, 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 our word isn't really strong enough for what he is feeling at this point. The best evidence says, and the best evidence being John's gospel, John uses agape and phileo interchangeably throughout his gospel. Sometimes it's divine love and it's coming from God. Sometimes he uses it in, phrase, in phrases like the, the evil of this, the, the people of this world agape evil more than, than good. Um, a divine love for evil, that, that seems, I mean, that's the strength of the love, so, but, he, he, but he also uses phileo love for, from God. So it's not, it, he, God has brotherly love and, and evil people have divine love. So, so John does this thing where he uses this word, and we have to read a lot into that Aramaic conversation. But... <laughs> The Greek words are still there. So, I'm going to give you the very strong answer of maybe. Maybe John meant something by that. Maybe this change in noun was, is important. And I, I think we, we at least study it and read it and consider that possibility, but we don't get hung up there. You know where we need to get hung up? We need to get hung up on the fact that Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time. That's what Scripture says. We can talk about those words and, and, and think some things and wonder some things and, and even maybe glean something from the possibility. But what John says is Peter was destroyed because Jesus asked him a third time. Charcoal fire, do you love me? See, the question earlier was, do you know him? I don't even know him. Now, Jesus says, not do you know me. Clear you know me. Do you love me? And that question gets asked three times, and it rocks Peter. And so, he says, the third time, after he is grieved, destroyed, distraught, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. Just more example of how John uses different words interchangeably in the answer for sheep. He uses lamb and sheep. He goes back and forth, probably not meaning anything differently. He uses feed or tend or shepherd, and, but probably not meaning anything differently, just saying it in a different way. Here, he uses different words for know. When he says, earlier, Peter says, you know that I love you, you know that I love you, you know everything, he's using different words for no. Peter says, you know everything. What is he saying here? I, I think one of the things he's saying is, you know, back at the beginning when you asked if, I, if you loved me, or if I loved you more than these, when you asked me in the superlative, I couldn't answer in the superlative. You know why? Because I know you know everything. I couldn't, I couldn't answer that I love you more than these guys because I know what I did. I know you know everything because the third time I said I don't even know him, you looked at me. I'm reading a lot into the text here. I'm, I'm getting into the emotions and the thoughts of Peter for which we have nothing written. But if we go back, we see at the third time, the rooster crowed, and Jesus looked at Peter across the courtyard. Knew right where he was standing. It was dark. They're around a fire. Jesus probably had blood in his eyes. 
he's, he's been hit and, and, and it just, it, it's awful, and, and I don't know my timeline well enough at this moment to say whether he's been whipped yet or the crown of thorns, probably not. That was a little later. But Peter knew that night, Jesus knew. And Peter knew this morning that Jesus knew. You know everything. I couldn't answer the superlative. But I think this is also a little of Peter going back. Going back to that first magnificent, magnificent statement. When he said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who do people say that I am? Who, who knows me? Do you, do you know me? That's the gist of that question. Who, who knows who I am? Oh, some say Elijah, some say Elisha, some say John the Baptist come back from the dead. Who do you say that I am? Who do you know me to be? Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, do you love me? You know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? You know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? You know everything. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know that I love you. Peter has, I think, come full circle. He, 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 I don't know, believe he ever doubted that Jesus knew everything. It's not that. This is, I believe, a statement of Jesus' divinity as much as the earlier, the Son of the living God, was a statement of his divinity. Peter knows Jesus. Peter loves Jesus. At this point, Jesus no longer questions him. He doesn't say again, you know what, you really don't. You know how I know you don't? Because three, two weeks ago, you told him you didn't even know me. He doesn't have to do any of that. Peter, Peter knows. Charcoal, three questions. Yeah, he knows. And then Jesus' command, the, the imperatives. You know, I like to put, put, point you out, point out the imperatives to you. Feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. These are imperatives that Jesus is giving to Peter after these questions. Do you love me? You know I love you. Then do what I've called you to. Obey. 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 Each command phrased slightly differently reinforces that he is no longer a fisherman. I don't believe Jesus is repudiating or fussing at him for going fishing. Again, they were in Galilee waiting. They were told not to do anything until the Holy Spirit came. He's, he is where he was supposed to be. He was in Galilee. And Jesus says, this isn't your job anymore, remember? Make, make sure you know. You still have a job to do. Peter, denier of me, struggler with the love part, you still have a job to do. Y'all, that is grace. That is what we get every day. But Jesus, you don't know what, yeah, he does. He knows exactly what we did. Michael, you still have a job to do. Jim, Don, Christy, you still have a job to do. Peter's failures set him back. They, they messed up the relationship for a while. It, it was got to know it was awkward when Jesus appears in the rooms. That's why I pointed that out to you. What was he wondering? What was, it, was, it messed up the relationship, but Jesus heals the relationship. His failures set him back but didn't define him or disqualify him. Peter becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church. Peter, obey me. Fulfill your calling. And now it's gone. It's, it's, it's Hakuna Matata. It's in the past, right? That's, now, their theology was bad, but that is grace, it, that it puts all the sin in the past, and we're done. And Jesus doesn't bring that up again. 
We do. Jesus doesn't. So he tells him to fulfill his calling. So obey regardless of failure. Number two, obey regardless of consequences. Jesus isn't done. Verses 18 and 19. Verily, verily. Amen, amen. Some of your translations say, truly I tell you. Uh, Boy, listen. This is important. Peter, you've been your own man. You've got the the family business of fishing. Tradition tells us Peter was one of the older disciples. Um, John was one of the younger ones. Maybe not the youngest, but one of the younger ones. So Peter is probably the, the patriarch of this business now. And, and he, he just, he's been around a while. He's seen some things. Fishermen pulling in nets. We're not talking about this kind of fishing. It's accurate, right? I mean, I don't... That may work a couple of muscles, but, but this pulling in the nets all constantly and throwing them out. Peter was probably pretty ripped. Peter had been his own man. Peter would have been the, the object, uh, the, the idol, the example of masculinity in the day. Strong, powerful. I think that's part of his answers. Peter made decisions. Peter did things. He led the business. He did all of this stuff. And Jesus says, you've been your own man. You've made your decisions. You, you decide and you jump in the water and swim 100 yards. And you give the superlative answers and all that. But from now on, you're going to be my man. You're not yours anymore. We believers are not our own. We are bought with a price. And that's what Jesus is telling Peter. You've done what you wanted to. Now you're not going to. Feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep, or feed my lamb, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. You don't have options anymore, Peter. You're not yours. When you were young, you tied your belt, you wouldn't walk wherever you wanted, but when you are older, when you become the under-shepherd, when you feed the lambs, shepherd the sheep, feed the sheep. Whose sheep? Not your sheep, Peter. My sheep, Jesus says. Also notice he doesn't say, Peter, do you love the sheep? <laughs> because some days sheep bite. If, you've not on, if you're not on Facebook, it, I, we, did you ever share that? Uh, there's a reel, and there have been numerous of them, but there's a newer one where the, the shepherd is feeding the sheep. He is dumping the food in the trough, and one just waylays him, bam, from the back. And then there's another clip just a little while later. He's doing the same thing somewhere else, and that same darn sheep, bam, waylays him from the back. It happens. Peter, if you become the under-shepherd... Not your sheep, my sheep. Love me, keep your eyes on me, feed the sheep, tend the sheep, look at me, not them. You're going to be killed in your old age. And based on the language, not just killed, not just martyred, but pretty good indication, you'll be crucified. Literally, not, not figuratively like, well, they just crucified me. No, 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 really. For real, though, you're going to be crucified. And if you love me, that won't matter. You'll obey regardless of the consequences. You'll obey regardless of what they do, regardless of what they say. You will be obedient. You'll preach the word, you'll, you'll share, you will lead, you'll do the things that I have called you to do, and you will be killed for it. I've just told you, Peter, you're going to die. Okay, let's, let's recap. Feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, you're going to be crucified in your old age. The last or the next imperative, the end of verse 19, follow me. Follow me, Peter. Get run over by the sheep, 
be crucified in your old age. Regardless of the consequences, Peter, follow me. Jesus is a worse marketer than I am. Okay? Peter, all this horrible stuff is going uh, to happen to you, so follow me. Do it anyway. Obey regardless of consequences. And we will want to obey regardless of consequences if we can alleviate the consequences or avoid some of them. But it doesn't work that way. Jesus doesn't say all right, follow me, and as you can work things out to make it more comfortable in your life and make it easier to feed the sheep, do so. Follow me. Feed the sheep. Shepherd the sheep. Feed the sheep. Die. Party. <laughs> And Peter does. First Peter, and I'm going to, and I didn't mark this because I, I hadn't even planned to go to it. So I'm going to see if I can find it just by glancing. Yeah, I'm going to take too much time to do it. So I'll just tell you, Peter says, Peter in writing to other pastors, other church leaders, you know what he tells them? Feed the sheep, shepherd the sheep. He uses Jesus' language. Peter got it. We don't get an okay from Peter. <laughs> Actually, we get, in the next section, we get Peter from Peter. We, 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 get, we get Simon a little bit right here at the end. Is it chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5? Thank you, I need my research assistant. Would, uh, my, my in-sermon research assistant. Well, now I can't find, oh, there it is. It's important, so I'm gonna, I want to point this out. There we go, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, he understood his lack of superlative at this point. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, under shepherd. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter got it, but you know what he ultimately got? That he could not fulfill his calling unless he followed Jesus. That meant following Jesus to the grave. In his case, that meant literally taking up his cross, Peter's cross. They will stretch your hands out, and you carry the same thing Jesus carried. And you'll be crucified. You can't fulfill your calling without following Jesus. And that means following him through whatever consequence comes your way. Peter, though, is still Peter. Even when he's writing First and Second Peter, he's still Peter. But, but you know, he, he, number three, obey regardless of others. So now Peter's just learned, he, he's just been taken to the woodshed a little bit in a very loving, gracious way, the way Jesus takes us to the woodshed most of the time. For you youngins, taken to the woodshed means he got a whipping, okay? Been taken to the woodshed, has been told, oh, you're going to die of crucifixion, follow me. And so Peter's wanting some, make me feel better at this point, please, any, anybody else going to, what about John? What about him? Does he get, he gets crucified too, right? I mean, that's the question. What about him? Why do I have to be the one that is crucified? Of the, the 12, 
John is the only one that traditionally we believe died of old age, and he died in solitude on the island of Patmos. Not in solitude, in exile. That's the word I wanted. What about John? What's going to happen to him? The one you love. And he didn't say it that way, and I don't know that they referred to him that way then, but that's the idea. You love John more than me if, 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 if he doesn't have to do that. Y- y'all, we do the same thing. Jesus, what about that pastor down the road? Why is that church growing? What about that Christian? Why aren't they having financial issues? Why didn't their kids rebel? Why did their prodigal come home? Jesus, why is my life not as good as theirs? Why is my ex not as good as their ex? Jesus, why aren't you treating me fairly? You seem to be treating them fairly. You're doing fine with them. They're doing great. They're wonderful. Me, I'm getting crucified here. what we want to do or if it's going to be we want the plan we want the plot we want to know that okay misery loves company if I've got to go through this somebody else is going to also right they're going to have to experience this right it's our nature to expect that either everybody has it as bad as us or that no one has it better than us it's just, it's just what we want, and it's not what is. We have the reverse, too, though. Let's not be confused. We look from our ivory tower of, of moral, uh, moralism, and we look at the world and say, how awful. We sure are better than them. We kind of like those sermons, right? Michael, if you could leave us alone for a little bit and talk about all the bad people out there, that'd be great. Well, I'm not here to equip the bad people. I'm here to equip the saints. We want to compare ourselves to somebody else when things aren't fair or when things get hard. And what does Jesus say? Follow me. If I want John to remain until I come... If I want him to live forever, if I want John to live in a palatial mansion with all the servants and all the stuff and all the cars and all the money, and if, what is that to you, Peter? Why do you think it matters what happens to, 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 to your obedience, what happens to him? It doesn't. You follow me. Leave father, mother, friends, life, everything. Leave it all, Peter. Leave it all, believer. None of it matters. The only thing that matters is your calling. The only thing that matters is your obedience. Discipleship is costly. Following Jesus doesn't just cost a little. It costs everything everything. Peter, you're going to die, and and you're going to die horribly, and who cares if he does or not? Peter, follow me. Peter, obey me. Christian, follow me. Christian, obey me. The, The response and situation of others has zero bearing on your obedience. None. Well, my family weren't believers, so I wasn't raised in church. Don't care. I mean, I care. Jesus cares, but not to the point that it makes a difference in your calling. Jesus, I don't have a lot. Doesn't matter. Jesus, I have a lot. Doesn't matter. I mean, actually could, based on the rich ruler. Jesus, my life's in turmoil. I know. Jesus, things are going good right now. I know. 
discipleship is going to, being a disciple is going to mess those things up. Or I can't do it because of this. So I've got a field to plow. I've got a, a family member to bury. I've got this. I've got that. I've got money. I've got poverty. I've got all this. I can't do it, Jesus. And Jesus says, do you love me? That's the question. Do you love him? Then obey him. Follow Jesus. Even after your failure, even after you sin, you will fail. And he will restore you. We're not perfect when we're saved. And Jesus knows that. I don't think there's a grosser sin, and I mean gross in the common vernacular as in ew, and gross as in large, than absolute denial. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. I pointed wrong. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. Every sin is forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I think standing in a courtyard around a charcoal fire, don't you know him? I have no idea what you're talking about. I do not know the man. Y'all, that's, that's a big sin. All sin sends us to hell, but there are still levels of what's worse than others. Even after you fail, follow him. He will restore you. That's grace. Folks, it's grace that you're saved at all. Did you get good enough to be saved? The answer is no. Did you quit enough stuff to make God happy enough with you for a few moments that you got saved and whoop, slid in barely? Now I'm stuck here. Nothing can. No. You were saved. Even while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. That's grace. And it's grace that says, follow me, even after you fail. Follow Jesus, no matter what the future holds. Whether you know what the future holds or doesn't. And even if it holds a terrible death. Even if it holds selling all of your possessions. Even if it holds leaving family, mother, father, sister, brother. Even if it holds a cross. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus no matter what anyone else does or doesn't do. Follow Jesus whatever their future holds or doesn't hold. You are responsible for your obedience. No one else. So follow Jesus. You follow Jesus first. By understanding who you are, where you are. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 6.23. That's, that's, that's grace. That's the gospel in a nutshell. You're a sinner. You need forgiveness. Repent of your sin. Admit your sin. Repent of your sin. Believe on the name of Jesus Christ and be baptized. That's what Peter tells the folks in Acts. Repent of your sin and be baptized. They believed, now repent. Well, what next step do you have to take? He told them what theirs was. Maybe your next step, well, the call to discipleship is to take up your cross, leave your life, and follow him. No matter your failures, no matter the consequences, no matter about others, follow him. Does that mean baptism? Submitting to God in some way, conforming your life to Christ? Yes, yes, and yes. Joining this church? Maybe. You have a decision to make this morning. I'm going to pray, then we're going to sing. During that time of singing, you can share that decision with us in some way. You can message us, you can write on a connection card. You can come up and pray with either me on the right or Chelsea on the left. Lee and Kirk and Justin will be in the back. 
you can just pray because God's dealing with you in some way. You can just come to the front, kneel, and pray. Follow Jesus. And this morning, it may be, likely is, that he just leads you to the front. Just to talk to him. Just to lay some things out. Pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning knowing... that we have failed last night, this morning, yesterday but your grace is bigger than our failures and so again today we repent we come to you, we hear you say do you love me, we answer yes and you say follow me Lord we look around and we see that it's going to be costly to follow you. Lord, we pray that we will lay it all out on the altar. It's all yours, family, friends, finances, material possessions, our very lives on the altar. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Our lives a living sacrifice. Lord, we look around and sometimes there's not a lot of support for us. Family's not where we are spiritually or it looks like everybody else has it better when they follow you than we do lord we follow you give us strength to follow you that's the beauty of it we don't do this on our own power we do this by your holy spirit he indwells us he leads us and guides us and strengthens us and lord we have to depend on him to do this that you have called us to do lord we depend on you this morning to make the decision that we need to make. In this time, as we worship, lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's stand and sing. You come as the Lord leads, and let him work on our hearts today.